<clears throat> and today's sermon is entitled, Life is a Sacred Stewardship, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown. And gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. That was God's word. Many football fans remember the name Ryan Leaf. In 1998, in a very hyped up NFL draft, quarterback Ryan Leaf was battling quarterback Peyton Manning for the number one slot. Both men were excellent college quarterbacks with immense talent. On draft day, the Indianapolis Colts ended up selecting Peyton Manning with the number one pick, while the San Diego Chargers selected Ryan Leaf with the number two pick overall. Fast forward 20 years to the present, and what are the results? Both men no longer play football, but the similarities just about end there. Peyton Manning has two Super Bowl rings, went to the Pro Bowl 14 times, was MVP of the NFL five times, played 18 seasons in the NFL. By contrast, Ryan Leaf only lasted three seasons in the NFL, and he has been in jail for almost just as long. He served 32 months in prison. He has been in jail for almost just as long as his NFL career. 
and his eight-year addiction to painkillers left him virtually bankrupt. Many sport analysts still identify Ryan Leaf as the biggest NFL draft bust ever. There are very few things in life, I think, more tragic than wasted talent. Unrealized potential is the stuff of documentaries and lifelong personal regret. I am quite certain that every single parent in this room desires nothing more than to see their children live up to their full potentials. It's the reason why you invest in their tuition. It's the reason why you wake up early, get them dressed, make sure they're going to school, taking care of all their needs. You want them to meet their full potential. And I want you to assure you today that God is very much the same way. He has a father's heart, a good father's heart. He is rooting for every single one of you, and he truly wants each of you to experience life to its fullest. And today's very famous scripture text, the Lord Jesus gives us one very important biblical principle. And so if you're going to leave here without anything else, I want you to leave this morning with this principle. Find out what your God-given talents are, and use them wisely and productively for the glory of God. I'm going to say that one more time. Find out what your God-given talents are, and use them wisely and productively for the glory of God. I say for the glory of God because, as we all know, talents could be used selfishly. Jesus once condemned a man who selfishly pursued personal riches and comfort by saying, You fool! This very night you will be, your life will be required of you. Then who will own what you have accumulated? And this is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God, Jesus said. And the great missionary C.T. Studd once rightly said, Only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And if Jesus died for us, the question really this morning is, What are we doing for him? This is an important question to ask ourselves as each day brings us closer and closer to the day we will stand before God. And we too, as these men in this story, had to give an account for our lives. Now there are some very key principles within today's text. First of all, it is important to note that all the talents belong to God. Did you notice that? All the talents belong to God. In verse 14, the text makes clear that the property belongs to the master and not to the servants. And the same is true for every one of us here today. Every single gift and talent that you possess is a gift from God. We are simply stewards or managers of God's property. Our lives, our children, our health, our intellect, our strength, our bank accounts, everything belongs to God. We, again, we are simply stewards of property. And because we are managers, we cannot boast. If we accomplish anything worth celebrating in this life, then it is because of God. We were just faithful managers. Pride, therefore, is man's deluded attempt at robbing God of ownership. When I was in college... Many of you may not know this, but when I was in college, I spent one summer interning as a business manager for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I know you you guys know Enterprise because I've driven around. They have some offices out here. So 
I was a business manager for Enterprise. The internship trained me in all the ins and outs of their business so that I could eventually learn how to run my own branch as I climbed the corporate ladder. But after that summer, I, I decided that's not what I wanted to be, and uh, the internship only lasted for that summer. However, I did learn some very valuable lessons. Outside of making car, wa- car wash runs as the young intern, um, One lesson I learned was that when people rent a car, they don't care much for it. Why? Because they don't own it. So I I, I was able to drive all different sorts of cars, and uh, people drive them, bring them back, and I would go wash them. But you'll see that they don't care, they don't give a rip about these cars because these cars are rentals. They see the rental as the ultimate test drive vehicle, in fact. Others willing to put miles on their own, unwilling to put miles on their own cars, rent a car in order to take long trips. And after my experience there, I told myself, never purchase a used cars that a used car that was used as a rental. For those of you who might own rentals, I'm sorry, but you know, save that note for the future. And so in life, we apply the same principle to a host of different situations, do we not? But the Bible calls us to be radically different about God's property. Although we are simply managers of his stuff and we don't own it, God nevertheless expects us to take great care of his talents and we are to produce a return on investment, an ROI. Yes, life is one big sacred stewardship. And when our lives are over, God will ask us to give an account. An account for what? An account for our talents. God gave each and every single one of you unique gifts and talents. Whether you're a believer or not, God has given every single one of you unique gifts and talents. And he's going to want to know what you did with them. If you look carefully at verse 15, you'll notice that there are three servants. Eight talents were divided among three men. Each talent, by the way, was worth roughly about $600,000. Hence, even the guy who received one talent received some serious cash. Scholars put it at about six hundred dollars to $800,000. The Bible says that the first man received five talents. So times that by five. And the second man received two talents, and the third man received one talent. And while some might criticize the master for being unfair, I would say that the master was being wise. Why? Well, look at verse 15. Verse 15 informs us that he divided it that way because each man had differing abilities. To the one with greater abilities, God gave more responsibilities. To the one with lesser abilities, God gave lesser responsibilities. And as parents, we all do the same thing. It would not be wise for us to give our two-year-old the same responsibilities as a 10-year-old to each according to his abilities. God is wise. Yet when we look at verses 21 and 23, we notice that at the end of the race, at the end of life, both men, the first and second, receive exactly the same praise from the master. Look at that. Look at verses 21 and 23, exactly the same reward. Uh, Friends, I want you to listen very careful to me. God is very, very fair. 
At the end of life, God will not compare you to a person with greater abilities. Instead, you will be rewarded according to your faithfulness as to what he's given you. In other words, God simply wants you to do your very best with what you have. God is not going to compare you to a Christian who is a millionaire and uses his money for philanthropy simply because he hasn't given you that money. He will only expect from you what he's given you. He wants you to be faithful with the money that you have, with the time that you have, with the opportunities that you have, with the children that you've been given, or maybe the children you have been given. Singlehood, by the way, is a great gift, the Bible says. Now, aren't you glad that God is fair? God is very equitable. So as the text unfolds, we see that God is truly wise. The man who is trusted with five talents indeed does return five more talents to his master. God was wise. The man who was trusted with two talents returned two more talents. And thankfully, God wisely only gave one talent to the third and foolish man. And even then, the man failed to reproduce that one talent. And in those days, there were no banks. So it might be weird for you to read this, but in those days, there were no banks. It was common for people to bury their hard-earned treasure. And instead of putting his one talent to work, the third man buried his talent and did nothing with it. And in verse 26, when he finally meets his master, it is not a a pretty sight. The master calls him wicked, worthless, and lazy. Wicked, worthless, lazy. He takes the one talent from him. And I always found this strange when I read this when I was younger, but now it makes sense. He takes the one talent and he gives it to the man who has ten talents, although he has ten talents. And then, here's what the text says. These are not my words. Jesus says that the master throws that wicked servant into eternal damnation. The words used in verse 30 occur six times, actually, if you look throughout Matthew's gospel. And each time it is a reference to hell. But wait, if we're saved by faith and not by our works, why was this man thrown to hell? See, friend, because although we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, true faith will always produce the good works of a saved man for the Lord and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith without labors for Jesus is a fake faith or As the Apostle James once famously said, faith without works is dead. Essentially, by doing nothing for Jesus, the third servant proved that he was never saved. True salvation will always bear fruit, will always work for Jesus. There's no such thing as a lazy Christian. Bear in mind that even the repentant thief on the cross, who Jesus turned to, remember he was dying on the cross and 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 at the, at the beginning of crucifixion, both of the, those thieves, one on the left and the right, were making fun of him, mocking him. And then all of a sudden, by the Spirit of God, one of them converts. And upon his conversion, although he was dying on the cross, what did he begin doing? He began working for the Lord Jesus Christ. He began evangelizing to the other thief. True salvation will always produce work for Christ. And bear in mind that even the repentant thief, I said, on the cross, immediately began 
to work for him. You receive salvation the moment you believe in the gospel. There's no doubt about that. You don't work for your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. You gain your salvation simply based on what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You are saved by grace. You are saved the moment you believe in the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Four essential points. Highlighted, essentially, one, God's nature, humanity's problem, God's response, and then our response. Number one, God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He loves you. But the fact that He is a God of justice poses a cosmic problem for God. Because although He loves you, number two, we're all sinners deserving of eternal hell for our sins. And God is holy. He cannot allow sinners into heaven. And as a result, God solved this problem by sending His Son Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. And Jesus died in your place as a substitute on the cross for your sins. And historically, not mythically, Jesus historically resurrected from the grave. A fact we celebrated two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. Christians all over the world, 2,000 later, we still celebrate the historicity of the resurrection. Because if Jesus didn't really resurrect, this is all a waste of time. But after resurrecting, he turns and he tells his followers, listen, tell this gospel to the whole world, and whoever believes in Jesus as his Lord, God, and Savior, and repents of his sins, will have eternal life. That's the gospel. And the moment you believe, you become a Christian And you're saved for all of eternity. That's how salvation occurs. It occurs by faith through grace and not by works. But now go back with me to the text and examine verses 20 to 23. From these verses, we see the faithful Christian will receive three very important things when he dies. Do you see them? When you die, if you're a Christian sitting here this morning, you're going to receive three things when you die. First, you will receive God's praise. Verse 19, God says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, man, oh man, won't that be wonderful? All psychologists and sociologists have done studies upon studies on how important words of affirmation are to young children. And some of you can attest to that. Some of you can say, you know, I'm not really who I'm supposed to be because while I was growing up, I didn't receive that affirmation, especially from my father figure. I mean, movies are still being made. Have you seen that Ninjago movie with your kids? That's really all it's about. Receiving that affirmation from your father. Everyone knows that. But here's what the Word of God says. When you die, your heavenly Father will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. What, is, what a powerful affirmation from God Almighty. Won't it, won't it be wonderful to stand before Jesus one day and before God the Father and the Holy Spirit and hear those words come out from the throne of God? I, I, I don't need anything else except for, for that. Brother and sister, you can live your life um, each day so that you aim to hear those words from the King of Kings himself and you will live a good life. You could keep the streets of gold. That's all I need to hear. What a day that will be. Second, the faithful Christian will receive honor and greater responsibilities. Verse 19, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
So contrary to popular myths, we will not be flying around heaven with wings and harps singing repetitive praise songs all day. Thank goodness, right? Some of you get tired singing one or two hymns. I see that. Instead, our works on earth will determine how many responsibilities we will receive in heaven in our new resurrected bodies. And it will be set. There is no progression in economy once we get to heaven. Whatever reward you're going to receive in heaven is fully determined by what you did with your gifts and talents for your Lord Jesus Christ while you're on earth. You're saved by your faith in the gospel. You're rewarded by what you did with your gifts and talents. And once you get to heaven, that's it. You're, you're, you're in that level. I don't know how it's going to be. Because heaven is heaven. And there won't be any jealousy. But God clearly tells us that there will be differences in rewards once we get there. Or to put it in military terms, whether or not you'll be an 06 or an 01 in heaven is determined by what you produce for Jesus while you are alive on earth. So I've told you, now it's up to you to go out there and do whatever you want with this message. But it's right here in the text. Verse 29 tells us that the more faithful you are with what he's given you, the more he'll continue to give you, even in heaven. No pain, no gain. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. In heaven, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Third, the faithful Christian will enter into God's celebration. The faithful Christian will enter into God's celebration. Verse 19, enter into the joy of your master. Wow. A place of no tears, a place of eternal joy forever. And if, if, if you're going to be honest with me this morning, you're sitting here this morning and you want that joy, you want that joy right now. And I think it was Pascal who said, life on earth is unlivable without happiness. You want that joy, but remember this, in heaven you will enter into eternity of experiencing your master's joy. Recently I had the pleasure of giving an invocation at the promotion ceremony of a newly minted major. At the end of the ceremony, the major invited all the guests to a local restaurant for a free meal so that everyone could join in on the family's joy. And while I did not attend, I wish I did, it was a free meal, right? And while I did not attend, I was glad to feel the celebratory atmosphere. You could really feel the joy in the room. And it made me think of how awesome it will be when one day we finish this race on earth, enter into God's celebration in heaven. Friends, I urge you, keep running the race. I know sin tempts you, It's temporary, though. One day you're going to look back at the stuff of this world and say, I can't believe that stuff tempted me. Run the race well. Keep running the race. And I think the celebration is going to be pretty awesome at the end. Don't you think so? Amen? So again, the faithful Christian will one day receive God's praise. He will receive honor and greater responsibilities in heaven. And he will enter into God's celebration. Why will the faithful Christian receive those three things? Because he produced with his talents. He lived up to his potential. Now at the end, 
Here's what I think. I think God will look at three critical areas to see whether or not you've been faithful. Okay? So if this is sort of a rubric, I think this is pretty a fair biblical rubric as to what God will look at. Number one, he will look at your use of your time. He will look at your use of your time. Number two, he will look at your use of your money. And number three, he will look at your use of your opportunities. Remember it by remembering TMO, TMO, time, money, and opportunities. So God will watch to see how you spend your time. Time is your most valuable resource, by the way. And unlike money, which you could reallocate, time you could never reallocate. Yesterday is forever gone. Everyone is, the good news about this is everyone is given the same 24 hours every single day. Sleep, time with family, and vacation time are all very biblical. So no one is telling you to go out and read your Bible 24-7. That's not what this message is saying. Sleep, time with family, and vacation time are all indeed very biblical. Even Jesus told his disciples to take a retreat once in a while. And it's very necessary for every Christian. But at the same time, remember to balance those things with time for work, time for God, and time for physical exercise. In fact, all of you, all all the time that, in fact, I will say this, every single one of you are making an eternal investment today by being in church, worshiping God. Good job on that. Keep it up and find out even more ways to give time to God and always make God first. Make God first when it comes to carving out time. You won't regret it at the end. Second, keep track of your finances. Believe it or not, your checkbook says a lot about you. Again, here, I want to balance. Food, shelter, transportation, vacations are all necessary expenditures for every Christian. The Bible, in fact, says if you don't care for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So God gives you money, and part of your responsibility is to take care of your family. But without being legalistic, may I encourage you to find out how you can also honor God through your finances, by your offerings to God, by feeding the poor, by taking care of orphans, by adopting does your checkbook prove you're a Christian? Um, if, if you were taken into court in one of these persecuted countries and they took your checkbook, would your checkbook prove that you're a Christian? It says a lot about you, doesn't it? Are you using your finances for God's work? And lastly, prayerfully seize your opportunities. Look, not every door, not every open door is God's will for your life. And this is where I think a lot of young Christians need to use wisdom because they're praying for something and God opens the door and they think, oh, it must be God's will. And they find out later it's not. Not every open door is God's will. Got to remember that. But you must walk through the right doors in life. You could have the greatest gifts in the world, but if you don't seize God-given opportunities, then you'll never have the chance to ever utilize your gifts. I'm going to say that one more time. If you don't seize your God-given opportunities, then you'll never utilize your God-given gifts. 
Blessed is the man or woman whom God gives both the gifts and the opportunities to faithfully utilize those gifts. Both of those things come from God. You can have all the gifts in the world, but if God doesn't give you opportunities, you're never going to utilize them. True story, I once knew a young man who had a very brilliant mind. And God gave him the opportunity to attend a top-notch college. He went with the aspirations to be a medical doctor. But here's the deal. Unfortunately, when he got to college, it was his first time away from home, and he got caught up in playing hours upon hours of video games. And he allowed his GPA to slip. And no matter how hard he tried his senior year, he couldn't get that GPA back up. And in his senior year, he took his MCAT, the entrance exam for medical schools, and his score was phenomenal. It was off the charts. But not one medical school extended him an acceptance letter because of his low GPA. Can you believe that? He applied to so many schools all over America, but not one school extended him an offer because of that low GPA. It said a lot about his work ethic. He had failed to seize his God-given opportunity in life. He's working, as far as I know to this day, working in the computer industry field, doing a job he does not enjoy. And I pray that God will give him a second chance in some other form, shape. But needless to say, don't fail to seize God-given opportunities in life. Pray for God's discernment. Have a good work ethic and sees God-given opportunities. I've given you a lot of practical applications, have I not, this morning? And I'm hoping that you could go out and utilize them. So I want to close now with the story that I've opened with. Remember Ryan Leaf? In 2014, December, former NFL quarterback Ryan Leaf was granted parole, and he left prison with a new purpose in life. He checked himself into a rehab and eventually sent a resume out to the rehab center, after he heard that they often hired addicts in early recovery stages. As an NFL rookie, Leaf once signed a four-year contract worth $31 million. He blew all of it. Through the rehab center, he got paid $15 an hour to drive people suffering from addiction, mental illness, or substance abuse. He was humbled, big time. But by working hard, Leaf proved himself, and he was promoted to program ambassador, and now he tells his story at schools and town halls. He tells his story because, according to him, he says that the more he talks about it, he thinks it takes away the power from the shame and the guilt. Leaf no longer cares about how others view him. Instead, he feels confident that he's been given another chance in life. Sure, he doesn't have the money anymore, he doesn't have the spotlight anymore, but Leaf is humble and he is grateful. According to an interview last year, Leaf joyfully said, and I quote, I'm only 40 years old, I've got such an amazing opportunity ahead of me, end quote. And I read that and I said, friends, you know, we've all messed up. And at times we've all been poor stewards of God's gifts. Whether it was at work, it was at marriage, marriage is a gift, remember that. Parenting or at finances, we've all fallen short of God's expectations. 
But through God's grace and through the gospel, we have such an amazing opportunity ahead of us, do we not? Let the past be gone. Today's a brand new day. Seize the day for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...